Elizabeth Gilbert calls her a powerhouse, the thunder and the lightning. And Issa Rae says she's one of the bravest, most incisively honest, hysterical voices I know. Lavi Ajayi Jones is the New York Times bestselling author of I'm Judging You. She's also the creator of the popular blog, Awesomely Lovey, and an internationally renowned public speaker. We recorded this podcast episode back in 2020. And since then, Lovey has written and published her second book, The Professional Troublemaker, The Fair Fighter Manual, which hit the shelves this March. And within a week of hitting the shelves on March 2nd of this year, 2021, it landed on the New York Times bestseller list. This book is part memoir, but also a necessary read for anyone who has had enough affair, which she calls an everlasting hater. And I must say, I agree with that. Her TED Talk, which is also on Facing Fair, has over 5 million views today. And just so you know, she almost skipped out on that one too because of imposter syndrome. So for those of us who suffer from that, this is an episode for you. She also hosts two podcasts, Professional Troublemaker and Jesus and Jalof with her homegirl and actress, Yvonne Orji. Her first book, I'm Judging You, is being adapted for TV by Shondaland, and she was featured on Oprah's inaugural Super Soul 100 list as someone who elevates humanity. I always say, if I ever need to call someone to disrespect fear for me and push me to ask for exactly what I deserve or push me even further outside of my comfort zone, Lovey would be on that call list. She's that friend that everyone needs in their orbit. I'm excited to get into this episode, and I'm certain you'll pick up a gem or two or more. So let's go ahead and get started. So, Lovey, thanks for joining me today and making time, you know. Thank you. Thank you. When Tosi calls me, I go. I go. I I appreciate you so much. I really do. Um, And, you know, I think I've been looking forward to this interview because I just, every time I talk to you one-on-one and, you know, the listeners may not know that, but I I, I tell the folks in my circle, I'm like, listen, every now and again, I'll hit up Lovey and it will be something really random like Lovey, you know, um, this job that I'm at, I'm thinking of, of maybe leaving and and then you start giving me all this advice and it's like, you're a coach. And I think I called you that once or a few times. Yes, that you give, you are a coach, whether or not you see that yet. You know, I think I, you know, I remember being so motivated. And even when it comes to like negotiating sort of my pricing and stuff for some of my services, you're like, I'm yeah. sorry, can you go ahead and just triple that? Yes. You know, and yes. so you, you've always spoken to me about, so in so many of the themes that we've spoken about is sort of taking up space, taking up space, not um, making ourselves small so that we can fit, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. into places that we have outgrown. I remember we had a conversation about that. It's about understanding what you bring to the table and demanding, um, you know, the right price for that and insisting upon it or walking away. So we've talked about a lot of different things. And I always feel that when we speak, I walk away with a gem and I always tell folks that, listen, you should have in your friendship circle, um, a number of people, you know, there was one, I saw a quote the other day that talked about how we should all have three types of friends. The friend that is ahead of you, that mm-hmm. you take use from and who shows you the way to somewhere maybe that you're trying to go. And then you have the friend that walks beside you. Mm-hmm. And then you have the friend that you go and you bring back to take along with you. Yes. And for me, you're two, you're like, 
you're both. Like, I feel like you're, you're ahead in, in some ways, you know, and I always, when I tap, tap you, you always give me sort of what I need. And then I think the second is that um, you walk along with me. So you say, hey, how you doing over there? Blah, blah, blah. So I want to say before we get started that I just appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you being available to me over the past, you know, two years or so. Years? Yeah, it's been great. And it's been so random. Um, <laughs> when So before we even get into your story, you know, kind of who is Lovey Ajayi, you know, the, the Niger side of you, the American right. side of you, the right. combination, the combination, <laughs> the the assortedness that is you, you know, um, the assortedness, you know, assorted now with all the all, all the extra, all, uh-huh. yeah, all the meats, okay. the meats, okay. correct. You understand? So you know, but um. The way we met, and I don't know if you remember this, Lovey, because I do, and I'm going to tell it to Ooh. you in case, okay. and I don't know if you remember this. But I don't know if I do either. I, I'm gonna, I, I know. I was like, I don't know if she remembers this. So I'm going to tell her because it was, it, it, I believe it was divine now that I look back on it because mm-hmm. it was such a random meeting. And what it was, was that at that time, my old company where I worked for almost a decade invited you to one of our huge conferences. And I don't remember what state it was in. But you were there as a speaker. Okay. And they invited you. It was NeighborWorks America. <gasps> and yes, oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, continue. <laughs> and I remember when I saw your name, I was like, who on the committee was hip enough to know about Lovey? Okay. So I never quite, re- I don't know if I recall who on our team was like, put Lovey on this. But somebody on the team was like, invite her. To speak. And so you came and I remember branching by because I was working. And so when I'm working those events, I'm going to all the different concurrent, like, you know, breakouts that we're having and everything. So I remember I was coming from one and I was like, let me branch. Let me see what this lovey is doing. Let me just branch. And I walked in the room and the room was hype. I don't even remember what exercise was going on or what you were talking about, but I just remember I was like, people here are hype. Like this is typically not the kind of conference where people get hype, but something, there was an energy in the room. And so afterwards, I remember I came up to you and I said, love, you may not know who I am, but I know who you are because you're always tweeting with my line sister. I'm line sister. So at that time you used to tweet with my line sister, Jerry, also known as Metro Adlib, I believe on Instagram, on, on Twitter. No. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So it was also, I used to see you guys banter. And, you know, I was always showing up in her tweets as line sister, we did this. We were always in some mess. Uh, <laughs> and when I said it to you, you were like, oh my God, you're line sister. And and that was it. And that was it. And from there, we started following each other on social media. I don't, I just, honestly, if you ask me how we stayed in touch over the years, I really don't know. We just, Yo. we just we just kept following each other all the way to where we are now and so it so started you know, with just typed it in my uh google calendar right because i have yeah. my google calendar from the last 10 years so oh, wow. i typed in neighbor works because i remember yeah. that was may 7th 2013 wow wow so i met, I met you i met you seven years ago I met you seven years ago. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 So I just, I thought, you know, you probably don't even remember the story because a lot of times you end up being friends with someone and then you just be like, I'm sorry, how did we even meet? Like I have friends. Yeah. (laughs) I have 
friends like that where it just feels like we've been friends. But I'm like, wait, how did we actually meet? You know, and so I remember thinking about that as I was getting ready for this interview. And I was like, oh, she's she's going to love this throwback story. Um, It's an amazing throwback story because that literally was seven years ago when I did NeighborWorks. That's That's wild. And I, at that time, I believe that you had grown your digital platform, obviously, to yeah. um, a point where people recognized Lovey. Um, but I didn't know, and I don't know if you knew, that you would be where you are today. And so that's part of Not what we're going to be talking about. It's part of what we're going to be talking about, Lovey. And so, again, like I said, I know the gems that I've gotten from you in the past couple of years. And so I'm excited to talk to you today because I feel like by the time we're done, the listeners are going to walk away and they're going to be like, oh my God, I was blessed. Oh my God, I feel motivated. Oh my God, I got to go get myself together. Mm. You know, I feel like she's judging me. (laughs) (laughs) All all of that, all of that is what we're going to be giving out today. So so again, love you. Like I said, seven years ago, I didn't know that this is where we would meet. I didn't know that we would be talking about all the amazing things that you've done. And to any of the listeners that don't know who Love You Jai is, like, first of all, I'm deeply offended. Um, <laughs> like so, because I feel like I shouldn't even have to make an intro, but I mean, Google is your friend. But beyond that, um, in all seriousness, you know, she is a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, she is a digital queen. Okay, when I talk about understanding the ins and outs of digital platforms and how to build community and how to build audiences, she's a truth teller. Okay, I also think she's a comedian. I mean, she's just. <laughs> I mean, good. She's a clown. She's a clown. <laughs> good. You know, all of these things. But she's she's a lot of different things, and uh, all she does really is just give really of herself uh, to the folks who do follow and engage with her. And if you if you follow her on Instagram, you understand what I mean by that. It's always authentic, it's always real. She calls it like she sees it. And I think the, the world needs more of those types of people who are not your yes people, they're your hold up, let me get you checked out. You know, let me check you before you wreck yourself type of people. And that's who Lovey is, if I were to summarize it. Um, but Lovey, I'm going to toss it over to you now. And I think, like I said to you earlier, one of the things that I really want us to get into during this conversation is what I call the origin story, which is just always, where where did this lovely girl even come from? Where where did she even come from? You know, it's like, you know, that kind of thing. So walk us back. Walk us back to, you know, because I know that you are um, an immigrant. Am I I correct? Absolutely. Yes. So this is not a first generation conversation. This is someone who has direct roots back mm-hmm. to Nigeria. So let me not tell the story for you. Go ahead and tell us about how, when you moved to the U.S., where you moved to and what that experience yes. was like. So I'm a Niger girl, a proper Niger girl. I was born in Ibadan. Um, yeah. So <laughs> where did I, where, how do we even say how I got started, how I became this lovely person? So mm-hmm. You know, born in Ibadan to a family that loved Jesus, because, you know, we like some Jesus in, in Niger. Um, we love you. Grew up in my family home with my grandmother. Um, it was like basically the place where everybody came during the holidays. We slept in the same bed because me and my cousins would be like, yes, we're going to sleep toe to head, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. full of love. And my first name is Ifeoluwa, so you know, God's love. My family calls me Ife. So mm. we moved to the U.S. when I was nine. 
because at that point, my sister was about to start college and my mom didn't want her to go to college in Niger. So we already had family in the United States. We visited the United States before. So we moved. And here's the thing, though. They didn't tell me we were moving. Yeah, they didn't tell you. They didn't so tell me. What happened? Me, I thought it was vacation, just like vacations we've taken before. I didn't realize we had moved until I got enrolled in school. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I Love you. Like, did you have friends? That, did you have friends you wanted to stay by to and all of that that you didn't? Yes. Oh, that's my God. I stay by to. I was like, my best friend told me I didn't even get a chance to. That was last time oh. I could see her. I did not get a chance to say bye because I just thought I'll see people in two, three weeks, maybe a month. <laughs> and then me, I got enrolled in school and I was like, oh, so we're staying. You know, you people didn't think to consult me, but okay. Um, what yeah, state did you remember? move to? Chicago. We moved move straight to, to Illinois, straight Chicago, to Ch- instantly. Okay. And we, it was like October 94. And I was like, Chai, we picked to come to the coldest place in the country. Yeah, we, we, we had family here. We had yeah. family here. We were in Chicago before. So, yeah, that is that is how we moved. And I remember the first day of school, me being walked to my class and my teacher puts me in front of the class and says, introduce yourself. Hmm. And I had like a three second, I probably in my head, it probably lasted 10 minutes. But in real life, it was three seconds where I was like, <laughs> am I telling these kids my name is Ifeolua, which I know they're not going to be able to pronounce. Yes. Or am I going to go with something different? And me, like nine-year-old me was like, run the different play. So I introduced myself as Lavette because that is a nickname that my aunt used to call me. I and call I you like, that in my head, by the way. I call you that in my head. <laughs> I was like, so I was like, I was like Lavette. Yes, <laughs> my accent. So that's how I introduced myself to the kids. And that's how I started going by Lavette. So at home, I'm still Ife. Uh-huh. At school, I'm Levette, but I'm still uh-huh. bringing jollof rice to school, mind you, because me, I still really liked my Niger food. I know that's so, right. Even as I realized that I was too different for these kids, I was still insisting on holding on to the parts of me, like the food. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I try to bring sandwiches to lunch a few times. I'll eat it and I'll be like, I'm not satisfied. Why am I? Is this, this is like appetizer. Mm. Yeah. Snack. Exactly. What snack? So me, I'll bring my little top I wear. You know, I try, I'll try to hide it from the kids, right? So yeah. I try to eat as far as from everybody as possible. And they'll be like, what are you eating? What does that smell? And I'm like, mind your business. Mind yourself. <laughs> Spence your fronts. Spence your fronts. I beg, mind your business. And, you know, like, I quickly was like, okay, how I talk is not cool here. This is, uh, it's too mm. different. So mm. I started talking less and just listening more. Because mm. I was like, I have to lose this accent. Because as they're doing African booty scratcher shit, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I have to lose this accent very quickly. So I was just like, listen to how they're talking. I was like, study it. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. And by high school, I'd lost most of my accent. Most of my Niger yeah, accent that's was how gone. It works. Yeah. That's how it works. Kids adapt, that's how it works. you know, get the Very group quickly. of friends. Before you know it, you sound just like everybody else. But what I used that's- to do the first day of school, every school year, I try to get to school early. Mm-hmm. Because I would go to each one of my teachers and be like, Don't don't use that name that's on the roll. Because I know you're going to butcher it. Oh, Don't ever ask me for the kid. You, you were trying to, you were doing preemptive intervention. Preemptive. So you were like, correct. <laughs> yes, I would come to school and be like, okay, so I'm A. I'm always the first one on the list with my last name starts with A. Right, so I know right. when they start looking confused and their, and their faces contort, I'm like, yeah, you're looking for me. Yes, that's me. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, don't use that name because the kids will be like, wait, what's your real name? Don't even worry about it, G, because I wanted to protect <laughs> yes. my name. It wasn't I like I was ashamed of it. I was like, I just don't want you to have access to it because you just butchered it. It won't even sound pretty like it's supposed uh-huh, to. Uh-huh. Never mind, never mind. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, like that is that is how I um, became this person when I came to the US. But what's funny is like, I've been though, I've been this person. I've still been myself, even in school. Like eventually I was like, okay, now I'm going to start talking for real. I've been crazy goofy since the beginning. Like, even though I'm still, I'm very, what's funny is I'm very serious. Yeah. I'm enough, but I'm also goofy in this other way. So in school, cracking jokes, left and right. Me and my friends right. in high school. Class clown. Yeah, class clown. Me. When I tell you like the first day of school in high school, my first class was honors algebra. Yeah. Our teacher made us all sit down in alphabetical order by our last name. So I'm sitting at the first seat Front. that is closest to the door, which, of course, I'm the wrong person to put there. To put there. <laughs> the person behind me is my friend Kiari, whose last name is Andrews. Mm-hmm. From the time we sat down, number one and two, the clowning did not stop. <laughs> our teacher had to change the order, the order. They were like, you know what? It doesn't like, matter. Not work. Yeah. yeah, put it in the this back. It's not going to work. Just, just <laughs> y'all, y'all two cannot even know. The, the ridiculousness is too much and y'all are distracting to everybody, which was true. So right. like, in high school, I was just the goofy. I had like four different friend groups. We'd be roasting each other in the hallway for lunch. Uh, yeah. And that's that's basically... You know, you know what's... You know, what's so great about your story is that like I moved around the same age. So I was about, well, I moved twice. So the first time I was six and then when, and we left when I was around eight and then I came back again when I was about 12. Okay. And I have to say that I think if we had stayed when I came that first time, my story would have been more like yours because I would have probably, I would have probably, because the thing with elementary school, that whole minute is that kids are more accepting of differences. I feel we, we still adapt, you know, as immigrants, but generally speaking, I remember in elementary school, kids were more like, Oh my gosh, you're from Africa. That's so cool. You know, can you tell me more? And it was more like that. Versus when I came back when I was 12 and it was more like, oh, African booty scratcher. Oh, no, yeah. we, don't, we don't want you to talk to us. We don't, we don't want you to sit with us. And I remember, I think I must have started around the eighth grade. And so by the time I got to high school, it was still rough. So my mm-hmm. accent was still there. I was still known as the African girl. Mm-hmm. And it was also in North Carolina. So let's also Ooh. be very... See, I feel like places like Illinois, Chicago, I feel like maybe they are more exposed to just different types of people and immigrants and accents. In North Carolina, it was too much for them. It it was, uh uh-uh. So trying to get through high school by adjusting at that point was a whole different exercise. But you over here in the hallways already cutting up. You got friends and everything. So I'm I'm jealous of you. So so, so high high school and elementary school. So like, thankfully, the middle school that I went to here and my high school were very diverse. Like I was at no point the only black girl in any class. Like, yeah, my high school was especially like, which shout out to Michelle Obama. She went, we went to the same high school. Um, Uh Shout out. Like Shout that. out to Whitney Um, My high school was like 25% black. It was really so diverse. The other 75% was everybody else. So it was like, right. everybody, you could find your own spot. You could find your people. You yeah. know, there wasn't a lot of Nigerians, but 
that's fine. Like, you know, I kicked it with the people I kicked it with. And to your point, middle school is rough because, of course, I think elementary school people are like, that's cool. Middle yes. school, being different <laughs> is not cool. It's not I cool at all. Yeah. If I was still the super African girl, I probably wouldn't have had the friend group that I had. Right. No, so nope. I, 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 I dropped in at the sweet spot. That's so right. It allowed me to adapt and have the moment to be, to actually be able to figure out who I was going to show up as at school. Because I, mind you at home, I'm still eating panelyam and egusi and <laughs> I'm still speaking Yoruba. And so that didn't change. Like uh-huh, when I get uh-huh. home, I was in Ibado again. Yes. So all of those things and having to have that to the two consciousness of, of who I was, was really interesting. But again, like kids adapt really quickly. They but do. then I got to college. College mm. is when I was like, you know what? The full Nigerian must just return. Like yeah. college is one, cause I feel like the, the learnings that we have in college are greater outside the classroom. I agree. So in college, I saw, I met all the Africans I didn't meet in high school. Right. That's right. Like, the Ghanaians, the Kenyans. I was like, oh, we lit out here. By the time college ended, I was vice president of the African Cultural Association. Of course, before on call. Before on call. Coordinated <laughs> 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 fashion shows in lace. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Did you bring a lot of price to campus? I know you had like, you know, you will have buffet, you have potluck, everybody will be My bringing a lot of price. Anytime I come back home, I'll come back to school with tubs of jollof rice. The people knew everybody. me. Me. Yeah. Ah, yes. You want some jollof rice? Go to Lovey's dorm room or her apartment. She got you. She got Look you. At that. Was what school was this? Uh, University of Illinois. Final line at Big great. Ten. Yeah. So, that's great. Yeah. Like, I was like, you know what? The thing that all these years made me feel too different is actually one of my superpowers, right? Like my mm-hmm. culture and, and all the different perspectives that it allows me to bring into my work because that's also where I started blogging. was in college. Mm. 17 years ago. So tell, tell me how you, tell me how you got into that. Like, what, was it just like a, oh, it looks like what folks are doing these days? Or was it, what, what got you into blogging in college? Well, so you already know that as the good African girl that I am, I went to be a doctor growing up. Yeah. I did. You I was like, yeah, I want to help people. I want to be a doctor. So when I started college, my major was psychology pre-med. Mm-hmm. I loved psychology when I took it in, in, um, in high school. So I was like, okay, I'll make that my main. And then pre-med is necessary. Girl, so I took chemistry 101. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. <laughs> we which didn't even get to old chem. You didn't even get to old chem. Organic chem, chem, which kind? Me. The way I would have just failed that completely. <laughs> chemistry 101, okay? Not even anything special. The basic, the basic the chemistry. I went to class. I studied. And I, I don't study. I don't study. Mm-hmm. I'm the girl who be coasting in school. Just go, I study what? I just show up with the exam. I'll be okay. And you pass, yeah. I studied for this exams. I went to office hours with my TA. When I got my grade at the end of the semester... <laughs> And I saw that D for dance. I was like, well, okay. <laughs> I said, let me listen to this one. Let me, if I, let me pay attention. Let me pay attention. This is not my purpose. It is not my, my ministry. It's not I my calling. Like, I was like, child, Jesus, I don't even like hospitals. You know what? I don't think I want to be a doctor anymore. Like I'm talking, I instantly quit. Yeah. I went to my advisor and was like, 
I like the psychology. I'm doing well in that. Yes. Let's put <laughs> pre-med. Let's not, that's not going to work for me. And she was like, okay, yes. I have to have a come to Jesus moment with myself. Let's be honest. Do I really want to be a doctor? Do I really like blood? No, I don't. So what am I doing? So I dropped it. But that semester, um, my friends were like, hey, we're starting weblogs. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I, I'll start one because peer pressure. I'm easy to peer yeah. pressure. I'm very <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I, I will start a web blog. So that's how I started blogging because my friends were doing it. We were all writing yeah. out, you know, exams. We were failing. We were talking about roommate beef. We were talking about whatever undergrad life shenanigans we felt like talking about on these blogs. Yeah. And that's how the whole blogging thing started because from just being, being asked to start one. And then what's funny is one of my friends was running... She was the first black editor in chief of the school paper in the 150 mm-hmm. year history of the school. First wow. black editor in chief, Nigel Ibo, brilliant chick. Yeah. So she gets the position and she's like, I like how you write. I want to give you a column. Oh, okay. a weekly column in the school okay. paper on Look the back that. page, just like really talking about whatever I felt like talking about. She was like, I want you to have an advice column. So basically just giving people advice about navigating undergrad. So I would start writing pieces about like, (laughs) don't flunk out of class, uh, back to school blues. How do you overcome that? I wrote about like relationships, like are y'all really breaking up people over Valentine's Day? It's so funny because when I go back and read it, it reads like a definitely an early version of Awesomely Lovey. I was going to say that like this sounds mm-hmm. just like it, it sounds like the beginnings of what you are today. Like it's, it's the really same thing you're was. still doing. You're still doing I, that. All the pieces still and I read it and I read them and I was like, yo, that's hysterical. It basically is the very early version of what my blog is now. So, yeah. As I'm doing that, I still had my blog. What's funny is some of my friends who pressured me to start the blog, they quit there because they were just like, eh, yeah. I just kept mine going. So I have my whole undergrad career documented in a blog that no longer exists online, but I still have all the content. So sometimes I'll go back and read it like, wow. So yeah, that's how all of it kind of started. And um, when I was- Let me ask you this. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Was there a, like, so when you said you wanted to be a doctor, was it sort of something that you came up with on your own or was it something that came out of family pressure? And depending on the answer to that, how did your family react to you being like, I'm no longer pre-med? You know, was it sort of like, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. You know, cause you would, that means you were in a super liberal family um, that just allowed you to be, which I think is fascinating in itself as a Nigerian. <laughs> Oh, you're going to laugh at this story. Yeah. So the whole doctor idea, it was planted in my head. Mm-hmm. I realized that it's because I was, when I was younger, I mean, just in general, like I was known for being bookish and like mm-hmm. smart, all of that stuff. So people used to always be like, oh my gosh, you're so smart. You sh- you're going to become a doctor. Yeah. So I didn't realize I actually was taking that on as my dream, but it was really everybody else's dream, dream for me. So I was like, yeah, that is my dream because I do want to help people. So yeah, I will become a doctor. No, you're not. But check it. When I dropped the pre-med major, I didn't tell anybody. (gasps) They found out at graduation. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) They found out at graduation because 
we had the black graduation. They had invites to the psychology graduation. There was no pre-med graduation that they got an invite to. So my mom goes, so is there, mind you, I even skipped my psychology graduation. They said my name and I had refused to go. Cause I'm, I was like tired of graduating. You were just tired of the whole thing. At that point I'd been to two graduations. I'd been to the black graduation. I had Mm -hmm. done the liberal arts and sciences graduation. And I was like, I don't want to go to psychology. I'm done with graduating. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. So I just made the decision to not go to psychology graduation. But yeah, like when they didn't get the invite to a pre-med graduation, my mom just went, yeah, so wait, where's the pre-med graduation? And I was like, yeah, yeah. about that. Yeah, I dropped that about four years ago. <gasps> <laughs> I'm a vagabond. I am you are a, a vagabond. What did she say? Was she just looking at you? I think she was just looking at me. I, I think at that point, honestly, what, I feel like what can you say? What like, can you say at that point? What can you what say can you at that point? Say? And I honestly feel like she was basically just like, I should have done my job raising her. So at this point, we'll leave it up to God. I really feel yeah, like exactly. that's she didn't even she didn't give me no smoke. She was just like, all right, because I graduated in four years, no extra semesters. I yeah. had, I was on the dean's list, so I did my part. It wasn't like so. Honestly, I think my mom was just like. Well, I've trusted her long enough to do her own thing. She has not ever disappointed me, so I'm just going to let her do her thing. So she ain't give me smoke. You got off easy, lovey. I got off so easy. Oh, I know you I got off. You got off easy. Hella easy because... Let's be very honest. You got off very easy because Mom Simi have been telling everybody, oh, my daughter is going to med school. She's doing pre-med. We don't know who she has had gone to tell all of these things too. And then you just come out at the end and you're like, oh, psych. Hey. <laughs> my mother would have I, offed that gilly. <laughs> listen, I feel like honestly, I feel like my mom was just like, "Go do you," because at this point, like, I went through college. I she never got no crazy calls. You know, she don't know nothing about craziness. Yeah. In high school, like you know, in high school when you get in trouble, and you know the school is about to call your parents. Yeah, I definitely skipped class a couple of times, and my professor called my mom. But back then, he you know voicemail was a thing, landline, girl. So you could erase it. He called, definitely left the voicemail. I ran home and deleted the voicemail. To this day, she didn't even know he left the voicemail. She never got it. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy, if you're listening, I'm, I'm, I wasn't there. I was not there. I don't, I don't have anything to do with this. This wayward child of yours, she's wayward. Oh, wayward. Go. Wayward. I am a wayward. Child. She's having like this child right here. Yeah. Yeah. So. So she let, so she, she gave you the wings. She was like, you know what? Cause at the end of the day, I do think, you know, as Africans, we must acknowledge the fact that sometimes when our parents let us off, it is a bit, it's like them giving us wings. Um, even yeah. though I think a lot of cultures and other, you know, in other spaces, it's almost like a, why is that a big deal? Your parents should let you do whatever you want. It's in our culture, when your parent says, go forth, you, whether or not you were going to do what you were going to do anyway, to get that blessing or to not have them stand in your way to, to me anyway, it's like giving me wings. Cause now I feel like I'm not, I don't have to deal with me feeling like I'm disappointing them or I'm letting them down. And so it just takes the weight off of me, you know? And so I think we must thank you, mom, for <laughs> for not standing in the way, um, for not standing in the way. So, yeah. 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 No, that was a gift. That was definitely a gift because I also felt like the person that I'd been all my life, 
I've always felt deeply responsible for myself. Mm. Mm. Like I've always, mm. even, even at five, I was not the kid who was like jumping off the sofa and might bang her head. You know, if I, if I, I, I wasn't the kid that you had to tell, don't touch fire. Same I was here. very much self-contained. Like I was one of those kids that would have come out like this, whether or not my mom did anything different. Like right. I almost, cause I, I, I was born very much with a sense of self. Hmm. Hmm. Like, I don't remember mm-hmm. ever not being this girl. Like what I want, I want it. When I want it, I want it. I might not get it, but like, I'll even give you an example. When I got in trouble, it was usually for my mouth. Yeah, I can right? see that. <laughs> you see it. I was I didn't get in trouble for like, oh my God, stop jumping off that thing. Stop it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, no, no. I got in trouble for my mouth. Why were did you, you forward? Think that? You were forward. Yes. Yeah, not That's just what forward. They, that's what my mom calls it. Yeah, forward. forward. Uh-huh. But I didn't forward. But I was also like, I, I did not like when I felt cheated. Ooh. So I so would you make need to fight fight. for yourself. I wanted to fight because I was also small. Like I was tiny too so physically small so I had this like complex of okay just because I'm small just because I'm the baby of the family don't mean you're gonna play me I was I was that girl it's like just because I'm tiny and I'm little don't mean you will come for me so me and my brother would get into it constantly so I would get in trouble because the way I would lambast him (sighs) like my mouth and he's four years older than me the way I would just so he'll go back and oh, he's like, on your mates. He's on your mates. No, he wasn't my age mates. No, so no. I just <laughs> I was, man, the moment I feel cheated, I hawk up. Yes. So I, I would call him all types of names. So when I would get in trouble, it was for that. So then after I get in trouble, for whatever punishment I get, go sit in the corner, maybe I got spanked. Mm-hmm. I'll take the punishment and then I'll come back later and be like, I feel like you you just like hurt my feelings. And I feel like yeah. you apology uh-uh. i would tell my mom that that she owed me an apology i would write after, a- after you misbehaved after you cussed out your older your elder elder brother very well i will, I will actually write her a letter i'll write her a card or a note <laughs> ask my mom i'm telling you to this day it's so funny anytime said, well, what kind of child is this what kind of child i will write her a note. Know the wrong way. Uh-huh. exactly why me i'm upset that she was upset uh-huh. at what you did which was upsetting and I'll say I really want you to say sorry to me and what would she do I actually I, I used to ask her because I don't remember but I just remember being like say sorry <laughs> <laughs> I was like I've been this girl for say sorry now say sorry say mommy say sorry now, now. Uh-huh. my sister was like you used to annoy the hell out of me because you would actually walk up to this woman with the nerve to say you are you're offended yes Yes, and that's who I am now. I would tell people I am mad at you. Be mad. Yes. Uh-huh. So I've just been this person for such a long this time. Person. I've been this girl. How many siblings do you have? I know you have a sister and a brother. Is that it? Is it just three of you guys? That's it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Your sister is the like twin image of your mother. <laughs> Which is funny. I don't see it. I'm the only person in the world who doesn't see it. I've never do seen people, it. Do, does Everyone else tells you though, right? It's not no, just me. Everybody else. No, no, no. Like I'm talking from the they're twins. Young, everyone has says they're twins, and me, I'm over here like I don't see it. That's so strange. You don't see it. They look it's just so alike. Strange. I do not see it. It's the weirdest thing. Everybody has been. I'm talking from the time my sister was like ten. Everyone's like looking just like your mama, and I'm over here like how? Yeah, I don't see it. 
Yeah, and and now That's we all look alike. Apparently, yeah, right. yeah. You there, you you have certain features too that remind me of your of your mom. So so yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so your mom gives you wings, and you give yeah. yourself wings. You give yourself wings <laughs> first, and then your mom didn't clip them. She don't even clip them. Yeah, even though I don't think she was going to be able to, based on the kind of child you were, so you were going to do, yeah. and that's probably why she just was tired, and she was she probably was, just like, <laughs> you know, I've done my own. She's probably like, I've shot done my own parts. I've done it. Yeah, she didn't give me no smoke. Uh-huh. So you went on about your business and your life. So what happened after yeah. college? So I got a marketing position because I actually ended up doing marketing internships while I was in college. I loved it. So mm-hmm. graduated with a psych degree with the intention of going back to grad school for uh, my master's in industrial and organizational psych. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually what I went. I was like, okay, but I'll take a year, you know, I'll do some work. And then before going back to school, girl, I never did it. <laughs> so marketing, marketing ends up taking over my life in terms of like as a career. Um, right. I enjoyed it. And then for the blog side, I deleted my college blog and started a whole new blog um, that is awesomely lovey that was just like, okay, I don't have undergrad life to talk about now. So I just talk about like the world as I see it and maybe my own shenanigans as I have them. Yeah. Awesomely lovey really started August 8th, 2006. Mm, I, wow. I was out of college and I would go to work nine to five and I come home and blog. It's a hobby. So Me, lovey, four, hobby. 14 years ago, 14 years ago. Yeah. Is when you started that blog? Mm-hmm. 14 years ago. See, I always like to bring, I always like to flag those kinds of numbers because I yes. think for a lot of people that are on journeys, mm-hmm. that are, I always say never despise um, humble beginnings because, and I think this age of social media, unfortunately, is giving folks the wrong impression about what success yes looks like and how you arrive there because yeah. here like you just saying 2006 I'm like wait I did the numbers I was like that's 14 years of being consistent yeah consistency yeah. for 14 years is what gets you here yes I call myself a 14 year overnight success that's right that's right yep yep so go on go on let me so not yeah, stop you so you start, yeah sorry the blog mm-hmm. um and then what else happened? So yeah, I was working and then my blog started getting bigger and bigger. Like, you know, because I'm an early adopter of social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. Like I've been on Facebook since July, 2004. I wow. joined Twitter September, 2008. I joined Instagram December, 2010. So I was using social platforms to pub my blog in a way a lot of people weren't. Like I quickly understood the power of social media. Hmm. So it also merged with my full-time job because I'm doing marketing for those nonprofits. And I would often be the person who's like, do you know about the Facebook? Do you know about the Twitters? You know? <laughs> yeah. So that was the that Facebook. Section. The Facebook. Yeah. Right? The Facebook. <laughs> yeah. I know yeah. for a long time. Yeah. And my blog started getting bigger. Like people would read posts, pass it on. It wasn't like I was doing ads or anything like that. Yeah. It was like word of mouth. Somebody would read something and be like, oh my God, I just emailed it to my friend. And... So all of that was growing at the same time. But what I wasn't paying attention to was that like, yeah, like writing and my words are my purpose and what I'm really supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. So my work honestly started boring me in a way. Like I was mm-hmm. actually working for a nonprofit that taught other nonprofits how to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. 
And I thought that was my dream job, right? Like, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. I'm making $35,000. You know, I'm 25. This is great. I'm like on social media all day. But I actually started getting bored of just sitting in an office because I would, <laughs> I, I'm trash. <laughs> I think it's because, so my bosses at my job knew I had my blog. They actually sometimes will read it. Okay. And my blog ended up actually winning its first ever major award in 2009. It was for the Black Weblog Awards in the best humor category. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, snap. My blog is popular. It actually won in the popular category. And I was like, oh, snap. Okay. All right. When I was getting bored at work, you know, I was probably sucking at my job. Mm-hmm. So April 2010, <laughs> I go to a conference. I go to a conference for the job, mm-hmm. the nonprofit technology conference. And I come back. It was in San Francisco. I come back. A week later, I got laid off. Mm. They said that there were budget cuts. So mm-hmm. marketing usually goes when budget is cut first. But really, I think I was fired and they were doing me a favor because Tell I me why. It, and I'm like, yo, I was probably, especially in the, in, in the four months leading up to it. I don't think I was really good at this job. Like, I don't think I, <laughs> if you were being honest with yourself, to be honest with myself, I definitely was not putting nobody hundred percent. Sometimes right. I'd be at work blogging, updating my own job. website. While I'm on the job. And I remember one day, actually, in particular, I fell asleep in a staff meeting. <laughs> <laughs> so just a nonsense. Just a nonsense person. They're just like, look at this girl. I'm and talking like, now. And I was now. at the staff meeting. Like, my eyes was just heavy. And I'm and you like. Just went, you just went out. You were like, that's that. Seven person staff meeting. This is not a 30 person staff meeting. Seven. Okay, <laughs> we were at one table. So when I got laid off April 2010, which was exactly 10 years ago, they were doing me a favor. In more yeah. ways than one, they should have yeah. actually fired me because terrible. Um, yeah. And really, that was the last time I had a full time job working for somebody else in somebody else's office every day. But even though you would think like, okay, that must have been me fist pumping like this is my chance to make the blog thing work. Yeah. No, girl, no. I was I'm stubborn. I was I still was just like, well, I got laid off. I need to go find another job because I. I, I need like insurance and, and to buy shoes, but yes, yes, I would look for other jobs, but I wouldn't get one. But because I'm a hustler, right? I was like, well, while I'm you know getting job while I'm applying for jobs, I'm gonna do the thing that I was doing for the nonprofit for small business owners because I'm actually proof that I'm a good marketer because I built my blog from scratch. So I started doing consulting for bloggers because and I used myself as example. So I built my own blog. And mm-hmm. I put it at the bottom, designed by Awesome You Lovey. So people yes. will see the bottom and be like, ooh, you designed? You, you did this? Yeah. Next thing I know, I have 10 clients whose websites I need to design. And then people are like, oh my gosh, how do you get your blog to be so big? And I'm like, well, here's my strategy. So I'll start doing strategy sessions. Fun yeah. fact, the, bo- the, the job that laid me off hired me to come do a Twitter strategy session at their conference. How many years after? Three months after. Three months. Three months. <laughs> no, I kind of like. I kind of like this job. I kind of like. They what? did you a favor and they, they still kept you. And like, good looking. I like that job. My first ever paid to be in the Navy was with them. 
So it was like this, like all these things that I should have been paying attention to, but I was still like, okay, I need to get a, this full-time job. This would just hold me over. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably like a year later, I got a full-time job. Um, I got hired to do social media for a global brand. Um, yeah, I think I was social media manager. The pay mm-hmm. was decent. It was definitely not 35. I think it was probably more mm-hmm. like 50. Mm-hmm. But I go in day one. I was fine for the first four hours. By 1 p.m., the walls were closing in on me. Hmm. I was like, Chai, it feels like I am in a cage. Wow. So I finished till five and I scheduled an email that would get to them the next day saying thank you for my first and last day. so many questions. I've heard the story before, but I've never had a chance to really like drill into what exactly was going on in your mind. So three questions. What gave you the audacity? What did your friends and family say? And what did HR say? I'm just trying to get the tea on this. So this is wild. <laughs> I actually think it was more like the end of 2011. So I'd been out of a job for a year and a half. Oh so the audacity won. There was nobody who was leaning on me for their livelihood. I didn't have any kids. I I was responsible for nobody but myself. So I knew that you are only talking to you here. Two, all of the the consulting I had been doing and and websites, like at that point, I probably made the $35,000 I made in my old job in that year and a half. So I was like, well, I'm currently making that much in terms of cash. Yeah. So I'm okay. And then I also realized that, and, and, I, and I saved a lot of money. That's, like that's I wasn't out here, I wasn't out that's here, out of control. so I was like, okay, I probably had like $5,000 in savings at that point. I was probably like, mm-hmm. I'm chilling. I'm all right. Um, but I also knew that again, if I ever get to a point where I don't have money, I can stay with four family members. True. So again, that social network we talked about. That social network, that again, also being like, you know what, I'm not currently feeling like me waiting would mean zero dollars. So I I had my backup plan of like, well, because I had so many clients and I was like, I can just, you know what, that means I just have to work harder and go pitch Mm -hmm. for more Mm -hmm. other clients. I was like, I'd be all right. I actually didn't have, I didn't have the anxiety of things I will become homeless, basically, right? Yeah, I yeah. have that anxiety, which is in itself a privilege, a massive privilege. It um, is. What did people think? I'm a real G who moves in silence. I probably didn't even tell anybody that I even got that full time job until I in the first quit. place. I'd <laughs> be just in my own corner doing my own thing. Even my yeah. mom don't even be knowing half the things I'd be up to. Yeah, and then you'll find out after the fact, like because I honestly don't make it a point to be like, here's what I'm about to do. People will see it once I'm in the motion. That's right. That's right. That's so right. A lot of that, it wasn't like a community of people telling me and giving me constant feedback. Cause I wasn't feedback. going to speak it out. I was like, Nope, I'm just follow this. And, and also it lets us do the things that's truest to us. Right. Feedback is good for sure. But in a mm-hmm. moment when you're in flux, Sometimes a lot of it would direct you where you're not supposed to be going. It's going to be distracting. Mm-hmm. So I literally didn't. It wasn't like I told somebody like I'm about to quit this thing. I just did it because I was like, this yeah. thing doesn't feel right. Um, yeah. I don't know what they actually said. I should actually search my email because my inbox holds the keys to a lot of my my ridiculousness of my twenties. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> all the ridiculous in my 20s because I was yeah. terrible as an employee. And as a professional in my 20s, I try to figure out what I wanted to do. That's but, right. Um, yeah, it was one of those things. It was the moment that I realized that me working for myself was necessary because I was no longer equipped to sit in an office all day, every day. Hmm. I, hmm. I, it was it was a very strong catalyst of all right. So you're gonna stop applying for jobs now, correct? Correct. Yes, because now that you've gotten wow. one, you see what it feels like. I needed to feel that to finally hmm. stop doing it because I still have resumes in my inbox that I sent out in uh, December 2011. I can still pull them up. Wow. Because I did not believe the hype of working for myself. I was like, no, no, that's not. No, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be getting a check like everybody else. That's right. Like most of us think, to be honest. Like Meanwhile, most of the us universe, think. God is like grabbing my face like, Auntie, I'm trying to tell you something. Hmm. Do this thing by yourself. And I remember, I, I remember one day, the first time I ever made what I made in a year in a weekend. Wow. Wow. When I saw a $35,000 check for a weekend's worth of work. What year was was this, Lovey? What year was that? 2014, 15. 14 or 15. One of those years. I'm tracking this so that they can see that you stuck with this, you know, and I think one of the things that I'm hearing from you as you're talking is, and I always like to connect the dots is mm-hmm. that you are someone who has always trusted yourself. And I think that's something that you must yes. not take for granted because not everyone is built. Mm-hmm. Some of us, some of us have had to learn mm-hmm. to trust ourselves. We were not born just trusting ourselves, you know? And so that's why wow. I kind of drilled. That's why I drilled into what you said, because I'm like, for you to have, I call it audacity, but it's also the trust in yourself to be able to yeah. say, this does not feel right in mm-hmm. your 20s. Some yeah. of us are still learning that in our 30s to be like, oh, I think I should mm-hmm. listen to my gut. I think I should listen to my intuition because we somewhere along the line, either because of experiences or just how it was, we just never really learned to trust ourselves completely and fully to say yeah. whatever I'm feeling is the truth. And yeah. I will listen to that. And so I think it's very important that I point that out because even when we started talking, you said, I've always been that child. Like for you to be eight years old and be like, this is the name I'm going to give to everyone in the room. I mean, that to me shows someone who was just born with, with the liver. <laughs> yeah, honestly, a lot of it, like that whole me sitting in the office thing, I felt physically uncomfortable. Hmm. Like, hmm physically uncomfortable. So there are times when we won't trust ourselves. There are times when I don't trust myself, but that's when like, sometimes your body will tell you. Mm. I felt physically uncomfortable sitting there. I was like, I hate this. And I didn't want to feel that way again. Mm. Like it felt like self-betrayal to be sitting there. And I think a lot of times what happens is we we end up like betraying ourselves over and over again. Hmm. Hmm. Sometimes our intuition is like, Hey, that thing doesn't feel right. Sometimes it's louder things, but a lot of times it's just a simple feeling of, I feel like I'm cheating myself. And remember I, I've hated feeling cheated since I was little. That's right. So when I feel like I'm cheating myself, 
I really got to do something different. So that's what that felt like. Like me sitting there was me cheating myself. So I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't come back again tomorrow and then do this till further notice. Oh girl, my whole soul would have been like, no, no, no. So yeah, yeah, a lot of times the world basically tells us not to trust ourselves. The world abuses us into not trusting ourselves. It makes fun of us into it. It, you know, there's so many reasons why we end up learning not to trust ourselves. Many reasons. So many. many. And they're all valid, of course. Like, it's not our fault that we don't trust ourselves, but we have to kind of try to learn that back because if we don't, we end up just in a cycle of self-betrayal, which for me, I can disappoint a thousand people and I'll be like, I guess, you know, that's kind of tough. But when I disappoint myself, that's the toughest thing for me to contend with. Wow. Because I know that like, if there's nothing else I can control is me, right? So if Mm. me that I control I drop the ball on and I'm like sis figure it out yeah look at you yeah how could you how could you yes how could you the rest of the world yeah. is trash you do not need to be trash to yourself lovey this thing that you're touching on really like I said I don't you know I think it's innate um when it comes to you but it's really a critical life lesson that so many of us need to understand the value of. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on the perspective you put on it, it is that a lot of us have to learn it. There is this inner voice a lot of times, especially I think with women, where it's almost doubtful, you know, constant doubt, you know, imposter syndrome, questioning mm-hmm. everything, wanting to overexplain. I mean, they're out so from a from an honest um stance right now, I'll tell you that I feel as though I'm a highly intuitive person. As a matter of mm-hmm. fact, some days, some days I am convinced that I can tell things without, I don't need too much details to know if something mm-hmm. is good or right. But what happens is that sometimes, like you said, with society, you start to feel like, you know, I don't know. I, let me not say things emphatically, or let me not do things yeah. without considering that it may not work. You know, let me not be so, um, overconfident, you know, let me, cause so for example, in your, if I were in your shoes, I'd have thought this feels really uncomfortable physically. And I know that my body's telling me that I'm not comfortable, but Tosin, yeah. how about if, how about if, if you leave this job, how about if your own solo pursuits don't work out? How about if you're not able to pay your bills? Like all of these other things start to, the inner voice starts to come in and all of a sudden your own voice is drowned out and it happens a lot more than what you do, which is just that you hear it and you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) It's not, it's not like that for everybody. And so, you know, I wish I could tell you, ask you what the formula is, but like I said, I really have a strong sense that this is just how you came to this world. Um, (laughs) You have a strong inner voice. Yeah. You have a strong inner voice and you listen to it and you follow it. And I just think that it's a really amazing thing. And I do think it's something that can be learned. Um, and that's the good news is that it can be learned. And so, you know, I think, I think it's honestly less about learning that and more like unlearning other things. Ah, So people ask like, you know, how do you make sure you don't doubt yourself or like, how do you write so confidently? I'm like, my writing is my stream of consciousness that has been organized Hmm. without me now going back to say, what you're saying is not valid, delete it. Hmm. Um, but same thing, like as we're approaching life, as we're 
trying to figure out what we want to do. I'm like, the problem is that we overthink it all, right? So we'll, we'll convince ourselves that the thing that we want is not what we want. We'll convince hmm. ourselves that like that job, yeah, no, you should have, you should be grateful for that because some people don't have jobs. They ain't got nothing to do with how you're feeling about this thing, whether it's yours or not. So we'll doubt and like take ourselves out of the equation because we'll like, but when you think through what you are compelled to do, I always tell people like that thing that feels compelling where you can't stop thinking about it or it is not like it's bugging you. It's just not leaving you alone. It's usually something you're supposed to do, hmm. but we will convince ourselves in five different ways that now nah, I'm just, I'm bugging. I'm tripping. I'm tripping. But why? Why are you tripping? Because you want this thing. No, no, you actually want this thing. So if we actually just do more of what we're compelled to do and and we're less, less likely or like less habitually swallowing down just basic wants and needs, we mm. will find the thing that we want. Because I, th- I mean, I just, I feel like I just spent a lot of my life not telling myself, not trying to convince myself against what I want. So I started a blog just because I was like, okay, cool. You know, with the idea that I'm not expecting anything from it. Right. If I need to delete it, I can delete it. So I quit that job knowing that, okay, if I change my mind tomorrow, I can go apply for another job. It's not like that's the only job on the face of the earth. That's um, but my fear of calling myself a writer was so much tied to what does it look like to fail at it? Meanwhile, it's like, okay, so if you did fail, so what? So, because we're attaching such big things. I, I, I work through it in therapy too, because I still do sometimes it's small things, but like we attach such big expectations or mm. worst case scenarios to everything that then we're like, ah, I don't want the worst case scenario to happen. So I'm not going to do that thing. do it at all. Meanwhile, what if the best case scenario happens, right? No, what we don't think about that one. We don't think about that one. We're always thinking about the worst case. And when we think about the best case, sometimes, Lovey, I will put it to you that sometimes we feel as though, what? How is that going to happen? Like, to me, we deny ourselves the best case scenario, but we will gladly serve ourselves the worst case all day. We'll be like, you know, if you do this and it don't pick up. But then if somebody says, well, how about if it does? You're like, wait, what? <laughs> how? I hadn't even thought about that. That's wild. That's crazy. <laughs> like, you go through, you know, and it's, 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 it's psychological. And I'm glad you brought up therapy because we're going to get to that in, a, in, in due time. But, you know, let's, like I said, I knew we we're going to start doing all of this. So you've already given gems. If anyone is listening, they should, if you're taking notes, you've already given, given us a couple of things here. So let's, so one of the things I was going to ask you earlier too, was when you started your blog, and I think you just answered the question was, what did you see it becoming? Or were you just basically following the breadcrumbs? I have this thing about breadcrumbs, which is that mm-hmm. I like to follow them. I never know. Or, or like I say, I always take the first step without seeing the full staircase. And I'm always terrified, by the way, I do a lot of things scared um, because I am generally an anxious person. So just like we talked about, I think I tend to, I, yes, I tend to sort of like over, you know, blow the whole worst case scenario thing. But what I've just learned is that the antidote to it is just to do it anyway. It's just to really push through it. And yep. I, I think it gets easier. Right. And so with your blog, did, did you just were you, were you just kind of having fun or did you actually set out to make it something? Or did you realize later on that there was potential and then you were like, you know, I think I can make this 
make this some into something? How was that journey with the blog for you? And you can then, I think, talk about sort of what happens after you quit that job and all of the good stuff that happened after. <laughs> that doggone job. <laughs> that doggone job. I'm actually, I'm, I'm excited about, my husband wrote the whole book and realized I hadn't put that story in the book. So I told my editor that I need to like actually put that story. My blog, I did not expect anything of it. Mm. At no point until probably that 2011 piece after I quit the job, did I expect my blog to be anything but something cute that I was doing. Even when I started it, it was a cute web blog. Me and my friends are doing web blogs. Great. Even when I started the one in 2006, like Awesomely Lovey, it wasn't with the idea that this is going to turn into my flagship property that will turn into this thing. I was writing simply because I wanted to simply for the love of it, simply for the hobby Mm -hmm. of it all. Just because I was like, Mm -hmm. words, I'll put them on paper. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a gift, Mm. especially at the beginning, because what that did, because I did it without expectation, without attachment. I did it in the purest way I knew how. My voice was honest. What I was saying was what I felt like saying. It wasn't with any type of strategy. I wasn't like, oh, if I write about this tomorrow, this person going to see it and this thing. So my blog was truly for the love. And when you do something without expectation and without any type of attachment to it, it actually frees you to do the best version of it. Because when Mm -hmm. you're like, there's no failing here because it is what it is, you're actually going to be more risky. That's right. Taking big risks often leads to big rewards. Great rewards. The freedom of not thinking it was anything but a hobby allowed me to just double down on who I am. So when people read it, they were like, yo, you're saying what I was thinking, but I dared not to say for whatever reason. Right. And a lot of people to really fall in love with the person behind the words. So I was able to start building an audience again without necessarily thinking like this is anything but this thing that I like to do sometimes. Right. Um, but it really let me write as if nobody's watching. It's like dance like nobody's watching. I wrote yeah. like nobody's watching. Was watching. Everything. And it really led to my blog being the voice for other people. Um, and that was what really led to people passing on to other folks and being like, have you read this? People being like, oh my gosh, I followed you since... 2010, like there are people who literally still follow me today who will quote an old blog post to me or will be like, remember when you went to this uh, conference in 2011? Yeah, because they've also seen the evolution. They see when the blog was on Blogspot, not WordPress, when it was still like lovey.blogspot, right? Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And May 2010 that I moved it to WordPress, built the website myself, was like, okay, under construction, I've learned this myself. Upgrade and 10 years since then is where we are now. On part two of my interview with Lovey Ajayi Jones. And I had to own it. I had to own it. I had no, I was out of excuses to not call myself a writer. I was out of excuses to not call myself an entrepreneur. I was, I basically, I was like out of excuses to like play small. I'm Tosin Durutoye, and you've been listening to Life in Bloom, a podcast brought to you by The Bloom Africa. You can join The Bloom Africa community by following us on Instagram at 
The Bloom Africa, or on our new club on Clubhouse, it's called The Bloom, or by visiting www.thebloomafrica.com to join our listserv. I can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Tosin Durotoyer.